0: It's rare that you'll find such a combination in one episode, so let me set the stage for that. We have someone who grew up in the projects, was a professional heavyweight boxer, chess enthusiast, physics student, a strong believer in stoicism, and has developed a significant following on social media based on real genuine values that he believes in that are not divisive, but actually helpful to people really unique to me and I certainly hope that you'll enjoy this episode as much as I did. This is Mental Filter. Welcome back, everybody, to Mental Filter, where we get to talk with really interesting people about really interesting things. Again, my name is Shmuel Fischler, and you are in for a treat, I guarantee it. And without further ado, I will allow my guest, Ed, to introduce himself. Ed.
1: Hey, man, thanks for having me. I'm Ed Lattimore. You could put any number of hats on me. Right now, I am doing a lot of social media promotion and and writing, really learning how that works. And for me, that's really fascinating because what I find works best for all things related to SEO and search and and, uh, social media is to understand why people do certain things. And if you can understand that, then you can write and craft and create content to that. In another life, I was a professional heavyweight boxer. And a physics student, I guess I'm a physics degree holder, officially a, f- a physicist, but we kind of reserve that term for students who have achieved the master or higher level. And I've written two books about sobriety up eight years this december i've been sober and i wanted to write a book to help people out with that and then i wrote a book kind of with some of my uh, stoic philosophies not caring what other people think is a superpower insights from a heavyweight boxer and uh, i like playing chess very great i actually was analyzing a game right before the podcast so that's me in a nutshell i'm sure we'll <laughs> dive deeper and, and hit these
0: yeah we're gonna hit all them and that, actually i was gonna start there because anyone who's familiar with ed And I follow him on social media myself. And it's got a lot of history. We'll put it that way. So which one like hits you the most? Which one do you connect with the most? You said you have a lot of hats and you've worn a lot of hats. Like if you had to pick one, which like really sticks with you?
1: You know, right now, that's an interesting question. So it's probably easier to answer which one, how it contributes to my life. I I think that and in, in terms of like how I think, how I write, how I communicate, how I approach problems in general, physics was really a game changer for me because I didn't go back to school and get that degree. I didn't start till I was 28 and then I graduated when I was 33. And what's significant about that is that I have very good memories of my life before 28. And, and I know what my thinking process was like prior to that. And I know I am, what do they say? You know, you can't do anything about the hardware, but you can update the software. If you've got the hardware to work with. And I always felt like I was a smart guy. What physics did is it really put me in a bit of a crucible to force me to communicate more clearly. To work through difficult problems that did not have an easy answer but i had to like just and understand and then i take that and i apply it to my communication so physics made me uh, an incredible communicator what boxing has <laughs> did for me boxing is just it's a really hard way uh, to make an even harder living No one really likes fighting. I'm convinced about that. Maybe I'm like the weirdo. I enjoy the training. I enjoy, yeah, man, I I guess I enjoy everything about fighting until it becomes a way to make a living. And then you're like, oh, okay, now I don't have a choice. And that's cool because, you know, that is another type of development and discipline. Boxing really taught me, you know, you you don't really get to make excuses for anything. I never really had that issue in the first place. But to also get there's a business aspect, you got to be likable and people have to want to come spend money and see you do your job and you have to balance that with the training. I mean, boxing was a full time job and then some because I was simultaneously the fighter. And kind of the promoter for myself, make sure I could sell it until I got to the point where I had someone promote for me. So there's that from fighting. The writing has changed my life. I put writing in the category of social media because while all those things in my life certainly give me things to talk about, if it was not for writing and specifically through social media and then kind of my books did help, I mean, who knows? Maybe I'd have to get a job or something. I don't know. But like, like it's really good now. And and I have a platform and I have, I have like legit, legit reach. Like I have a website and a, a mailing list and social media and people and I get to make an impact that way. It, there's nothing really like it. I mean, I can say a thing. And depending on how it resonates and who feels it, I mean, million, like literally, not, not not an exaggeration, millions of people see it, and that is so awesome and so cool, and it comes with a lot of responsibility. For example, I don't talk about politics on my platform because I recognize how powerful my reach is. It's funny you get people who don't understand what it's like to, to get to this point, and and a lot of them are like, "Man, why don't you you have this platform, this, and you could make a difference, a voice." I'm like, oh, "Ah, yeah, let's pretend I could actually make a difference, right?" I'm not arrogant enough to think that my way is the right way. And that's exactly what I think. I don't think my way is the right way. I know it's right for me. And so I try not to abuse that platform. But but yeah, and chess is just a, a great mentor. Just a great game. It's easy to learn extraordinarily difficult to master, but there's a strong history and connection with this brief story. When I first started fighting, I was doing everything because I didn't know what type of uh, combat I wanted to engage in, whether it was going to be just boxing or kickboxing or jujitsu or MMA. So for a year, I did it all ultimately it went with boxing. there were a lot of reasons. One of the reasons though, is because there was this tradition behind it. You know, it's an old game. I mean, the Marquis of Queensbury rules are from the 1800s in London right? So I wanted to to do something with tradition behind it as well. Anyhow, that kind of relates to chess there's a strong tradition there's a history there's a culture behind the game and it's cool and i like being part of that i like improving it's a great way to kind of pass the time and connect with a lot of people around the world no matter where i'm at there's a chess club and on chess players to play with you don't need to speak the same language i mean it helps to know that like in spanish is not chess but like right and then they call the queen d for the for dama because no one uses the q and that way and, and the moves are the same it's still the same game so, yeah, I, th- I think I covered, like, all the hats.
0: <laughs> that's awesome. That's kind of what I get out of it. As people are digesting all that, because because that's a lot of digest. So my takeaway so far. So physics, which is the first thing that you mentioned, and maybe, I don't know, you said maybe had the most impact. Changed the way you think. Yeah. Boxing was a whole different experience and a bunch of different experiences wrapped into one you have to promote you have to fight and you like the whole training and, and you
1: pretty much you stop entertaining excuses and pain like you just go okay what needs to be one of the things i always say is that the difficulty of a task is irrelevant if it's vital to your success nowhere is that more true than the life of a fighter
0: and once you get in the ring you can't hide anything no,
1: no, no, no. Your fears and your hopes are all up there on display for everyone. It's very unique in that aspect compared to a lot of sports, certainly popular ones. And that there's no diffusion of attention, it's all on you. And- how, would, how
0: would you describe your thinking before physics? So you said it changed it and you forced you to like work through problems that maybe well, didn't have easy answers. What was your thinking like before?
1: Well, I heard one big change that I can like measure. I was a huge, and people who follow me are going to be like, what? Because I, I kind of rail against it now. It was a huge astrology, new age guy, man, like big into it. And then I got exposed to a concept called falsifiability. And then I got exposed to some math problems. And there's a problem we had to do in uh, probability, right? where you're supposed to figure out the odds it's a standard problem. It's a counting problem. Figure out the odds of someone having the same birthday as you in a population. Right. And, and one of the things that you you quickly realize kind of with those two things is one, if you don't make any concrete prediction, then what you say is not reliable or a better way to put it is if there's no way to say how you were wrong, then there's no way to say and show you were right. But one thing I learned very early on the math is that a proof isn't right until you can't show how it can't be wrong. And that's why mathematical proofs are so difficult because it's not enough to go, this works here, this works here, this works here. No, you, you have to create a proof that it will work everywhere because all you need is one false instance and the whole thing is incorrect, right? And so... Really getting exposed to that level of thinking because because all physics majors come away with at least the math minor. It's impossible. There's so much math that you need to know. So I got exposed to a lot of mathematical ideas in this way, and it really sharpened my thinking and my approach to things. And so if, if I could not prove a thing or at least entertain how one could construct an experiment, to prove its realness. Then I go uh, to, to prove its falsifiability. Then it immediately falls into another realm for me, probability. And I go, okay, can I construct a probability and a way to show when something is incorrect? And if I can't do that, then I know that I'm dealing with a feeling, an emotion, but nothing that's of a scientific reliable nature. Right. This is what's cool about quantum mechanics, quantum mechanics. And then it's basically probably I mean, it's probability. It's, it, is, it is very much. In fact, a lot of the equations we have to use have probability embedded. It's unusual. Right. But it's reliable enough. How reliable is it? Well, everything, you know, the, the lasers work on it. A lot of modern medicine. All Our world relies on manipulating these principles, but it's because we've defined parameters. We know what it it should and shouldn't do. We can test when it doesn't work. We can go back and check that. When you think that way, it even influences your communication, something that is generally considered subjective. Like if I say a thing, I have to be careful because one, will I stand by that later? And if I'm willing to like change my stance, in what way do I change it? Right. It's, it's not an, it's, a lot of people will make arguments and they don't realize the argument they're making. I'm very, I, I think I'm better than the average person now at knowing exactly what I'm arguing and spotting. When someone decides to throw up a straw man to um, beat down my argument, I just go, look, man, that's a straw man. It's not what I'm saying. You're simplifying and changing it or whatever. All or we're discussing, they throw a red herring out there and I'm like, nope, no, nope, stay on topic. Right. And these are little things that you don't think they're related to physics or math, right? Because they don't seem to be, but that type of precision in your communication is the same type of precision I had to just learn to use. So in doing it specifically in in a discipline, I learned to apply it generally to everything I do. But that's the same for all things. I think you learn these general, we'll call them self-improvement tropes, right? Discipline. You don't go study discipline. You know what you do? You you go fight for 10 years. That'll teach you discipline, right? Join the army. That'll teach. then you come out and you have per uh, you have perceptions
0: on, on discipline. You have observations. For, you, you live know. life. You live life and you learn from it.
1: It's yeah, a- yeah. You know what used to annoy the hell out of me? You look kind of young, so forgive me if you fall outside of this range. Someone used they used to say you don't know what you're talking about until you're 30, right? Uh I used to think that was nonsense. And then I and then I became 30, and I still kind of thought it was nonsense. And then I started talking to people on the internet who were like 26. (laughs) This was mind-blowing, right? I'm, I'm 36. So that's a full decade younger. And and that's a full decade younger, and still like a real functioning adult for many years. And it it blows my mind. They're just things you have to experience and know and very few people. I have a friend who's, who's interestingly enough. I have a friend who is in a master's of therapy program or something like that. And and she's 24. And I always tell her, I go, look here, doesn't matter what you're studying. You, you got to understand maturity in our perspective comes from, from three things, one, you have to have a breadth of experience, uh, two. You have to have time to reflect on that experience and integrate the lessons learned and not carry the bad parts of it, you know, kind of the guilt, shame, whatever. And, and lastly, that last part, you, you just ain't going to have it for a while when that prefrontal cortex finishes developing between 25 and 28, but realistically probably closer to 28. Uh, so to where you can look at two things and go, that feels cool, but this is probably a better long-term solution. You have all three of those things. There's nothing you can really, you have the process, but there's other parts to life than just like raw intelligence.
0: Yeah, people can't see because they're just listening. I'm like nodding the whole time. And that's why like our expectations a lot of times for, for teenagers and even uh, young adults is like, hello, they're not fully developed yet, you know, to have the expectation. And I appreciate the compliment. I got a couple of years on you. No so, kidding, but, you're uh, older than me. Yes, sir. <laughs> I'll take it, man. I'll take it. And so it sounds like physics. I, I, I love this because this is exactly why I love doing this podcast is because you're just demonstrating how a, a, a subject that may be someone to be, oh, that's just another subject is it's it's just real life applicable. unbelievably do d- uh, an unbelievably difficult
1: subject to that I read a report. And I don't say this to my own horn, it's just what the, what the report said, right? That of all the majors that you could study, the average IQ of physics majors is the highest. And I can absolutely, it's hard. Like, it's like, you know, I never got to the point where I was like, where I thought I was gonna cry. But like, there were moments where I was like, I may be in over my head. I don't know if I'm as smart as I think I am to do this but here we are and this money's invested so we're gonna figure this like, like quitting was never an option like i was gonna fail out of rex can i
0: ask you a question on that i want to jump in i yeah. want to use that so even though not everyone listening is going to be in a physics you know class physics major but we all face moments just like that that maybe i'm in over my head maybe i'm not as smart as i think could i do this so for you what got you through besides the money <laughs> what got you over that hump
1: you, you know, this is going to, once again, I'll seem unrelated, but it's all interrelated. Very much so. I have an article on my site, you know, how to learn math. And I wrote that article because in high school, I like failed all of my math class. That was really bad. And this wasn't for lack of trying, certainly. I just wasn't getting it. And I went back to get my transcripts, actually, from high school. I ordered them. I'm 30 years old. I ordered my high school transcripts so I could write this article and prove a point. I was actually a little older than 30. But my point is, uh went and dug back. And I was like, wow, I was worse than I thought. Holy hell. Or What, what change in the 10-year in period between graduating and going back to school? Well, I, I fought. And the culture that comes with boxing and the way I was going to go about it, I said I wasn't going to quit. When I started fighting, I'd get beat out, like somebody I'd have to get injured, but I wasn't one. And I watched how I improved from really no coordination at all and, and terrible breathing and footwork to so now. I mean, in fact, I was just in there, you know, sparring a month ago go help guys out, be sharp, stay sharp, get strong. So that taught me, you know, what happens when you just diligently stick through with something, you can become a thing that you never, because I didn't grow up thinking I was going to box. That was never really, I didn't even watch boxing growing up. It wasn't even a thing. I just, I said, here's a thing to do. And so I did it. So I developed that mindset from doing something where quitting was not an option and seeing the results of it. I don't know how my life would turned out if I had not fought, but I know that that is one of those things that I've always have that you just give me enough time. And if it's important, I'm going to figure it out. Little, little, did you, little, did you know that hopefully get, get a great result out of it?
0: Little, little did you know that when you were boxing it was going to help you with physics.
1: Yeah, no idea. In fact, I can tell you right now, I wasn't even interested in majoring in physics, man. Like none of this. It's funny because I tell people all the time that as long as you have a constructive goal, something to galvanize your attention, then the second and third order effects, little derivatives that come off, they're all going to be beneficial to you, even though you cannot predict how they're going to turn out. Right. For example, my original goal was to go back to school for math. And and it wasn't because I was going to go conquer math. It was because I was looking at my situation and I said, okay, I'm probably going to need to miss some classes to go to work. And I can't miss any lab sciences. So I cut out all the engineering where you had to have lab sciences and chose mathematics. So I said, I can probably figure this out on my own studying with youtube to fill in what i miss in class that was the goal right and then that exposed me to a bunch of things that eventually exposed me to physics and now physics has ended up you know it has turned out to be a really cool thing for me
0: yeah that's cool and the way that physics changed the way you think is it i'm just thinking out loud as you're talking could that have been like a precursor to get you to stoicism
1: you know, I didn't really know
0: what stoicism
1: was for most of my life. And then someone pointed out that I am very much like one of those stoics. And so I went and looked at the philosophy and I said, wow, this guy like, like me, man. That's my thought. I think I have a natural predilection towards it. Certainly, you know, I, Jordan Peterson had this test on his website. The test, it's like the big five, you know, neuroticism, conscientiousness, agreeableness, something else, something else, right? Oh, openness to new experiences. And there's one more in there. Anyhow, I scored in the zeroth percentile for neuroticism. And and this makes perfect sense. It, it mirrors a lot of my other experiences once I, I dug into that. Like, you know, when I was an amateur out in LA for a while in a program and they had a sports psychologist come and he evaluated me and said that my approach to fighting, like, is he he rarely sees that level of not agitation or calm before a fight. And that's the things I picked up from my upbringing. I learned how to have emotional control very early. And because, you know, part of it was necessity, I'm sure part of it's genetic, and then it all worked together. But uh, those ideas work really well. Like, I don't feel... I feel comfortable being out of control, and I feel like a lot of mistakes are made. And on top of that, because I so naturally resonate with and immediately recognize the transience of life, nothing really bugs me. I certainly want to be comfortable in my time here, but I know eventually I'm going to die. Uh, it's not hey, yeah. Say I'm yeah, same in the same boat. <laughs> like it's not depressing, at least to me, it's not depressing. Some people hear it is depressing. It's just acknowledging the simple fact that that at the end of the day, you know, this is a great planet, and I'm having a great time here. And and I like you now, I had some sushi right before this. I love sushi. You're probably gonna miss it when I die if I can miss stuff.
0: <laughs> but like so eventually
1: yeah, would- that's that's gonna happen.
0: So for the layperson, this is something that is is really interesting to me is stoicism. And I've had clients, you know, bring it up before. But for the layperson, how would you define to the average person just what is stoicism?
1: I'd say, okay, two parts. One, it is a recognition that you have no power and control over anything outside of your own intentions, right? And and thoughts. And I wouldn't even say thoughts. Intentions is where I go with that. Because if it's one thing we've learned from watching marketing, it's very easy to put an idea in someone's head. It's a totally different thing to get them to act on it. And I think that's where intention will, if there's a word that combines those two things, that is what stoicism teaches you to control, develop, and strengthen. And in doing so, this might just be a, a positive externality of, a, of that activity, or it might be a, another discipline entirely. I'm not quite sure. It is uh, training yourself to immediately go to that point in all things and recognize, and then in doing that, you realize certain thing, you come to certain conclusions, like it doesn't matter if I get angry, and getting angry only costs me to make decisions in the external world, so I probably should control that. It doesn't tell you not to feel. See, you know, but because that's where people get it messed up. Like it doesn't say don't feel no, because if you look at my definition, no, I feel great. I have a great time. I'm just not going to let the negative emotions overwhelm me or the positive ones overwhelm me. I'm going to. Make sure that I'm, I'm always uh, in control of what I do in the physical world. And and the best way I can be in control of that is to be in control of my thoughts. And I can't control those directly, so I need to be in control of my intentions. Right? My intentions are to to enjoy the evening with my fiance and go have a great dinner then i focus on that that means that i'm going i'm not going to pay attention to my phone that means i'm not going to let the rain bug me cuz i can't do anything about that somebody bumps into my car i'm not going to freak out about that because how's that help me reach tension is that it only takes away from it so that's what i would say stoicism is to kind of sum it up Stoicism is about you tightening your locus of control and in doing so, realizing that you can't do anything about the world. So don't let it affect your feelings.
0: That's a great definition. And I'm glad you touched on the emotions. You know, as a mental health professional, and I get to see a lot of people who struggle and I see a lot of people with anxiety, certainly this element of control. So like control, I think, could be work to our benefit. And then also, but if we tip that over and trying to control what we can't control, yeah, like everything around us, then we're stuck in this hamster wheel of just trying to get this illusion of control that is just impossible and that's what
1: it is it's, it's an illusion I, I won't let myself bind to the illusion and I think this is one of those things that you learn you learn a lot of harsh truths about the world when you grow up disadvantaged because there's no one there to shield you from them now whether you come out of them on the other side together some people are ruined because you gotta have a certain level of maturity to accept and handle that and a certain level of strength and I, unfortunately a lot of people who grow where I grew up they get exposed to these things beforehand I'm probably no different but I've done a lot of work overcame a lot of things in in lieu of that and didn't get taken out the game beforehand i end up in jail for doing something stupid but that recognition that you can't control anything around you that you can't control you just can't control these things that that bugs a lot of people because we want to feel like we can control stuff and and a lot of times uh, it's a really nice illusion that you can control stuff and certainly the world really presents things that way but then when it really comes down to it when you start working backwards and kind of creating a falsifiable testable condition what do you really control you don't control your body if you think you do go ahead and do break the law and get under arrest you'll find out real quick you don't control your body you don't control your mom you are okay go ahead and look at any type of mind control not even mind control i will we'll say uh psychological experiment of influence, you realize you don't really have control over that. What do you have control over? Well, it's not your body. It's not your mind. It's not your emotions, but you do have control over this thing. Willpower that I can control. And from there, I think about how I can exert that. And if none of it's guaranteed. That's the other thing too. Like I tell people, focus on the process, not the outcome, because in terms of what is statistically more likely uh, to succeed if you put energy onto it, the, the process. Because the, there's smaller things that don't uh, depend on kind of an emergent behavior. It don't depend on all these little things working together to produce one big thing. I don't know. I can't control winning the fight, right? Believe it or not, I can't control that. What can I control? I can control my rest. And my dedication and training camp, my diet, my sparring, right? I can control that. Can't control the end outcome. If the guy shows up better than me, then I can do it. But what I can do is give myself the absolute best chance to win.
0: I can hire you right now and be a therapist in the next room because uh, there's so much of that is like, you know, that where I'm trying to help people realize. is and, and when they actually realize like light bulb, holy moly, like really? Oh my God, there's really... Yeah, there's there's
1: nothing, you know. I I listen to a guy, Aaron Clary. Great, great, cool guy. Maybe you should have him on your show. But uh, he says something kind of funny, and maybe it's kind of true. He's like, you know... A lot of therapists should be like these old men who have been through the divorces and war or whatever, and really learned, but learn something from them. And, you know, not just people who are on their fourth marriage. Like if you're on your fourth marriage, man, clearly you are not learning a thing. Whether that thing is how to be married or that marriage is not for you one way or the other, you're not. (laughs) picking how to pick something's not not working well what if if you get it you know you help somebody else figure these things out doing hard things just has a great because it's a spillover effect man i i can't imagine but one of the the things that I think makes me happy and makes me enjoy life is, man, I, I spent a lot of time doing very difficult things. And and even still, I don't really stop. It's just, I don't have to do them for a living anymore. Uh, so there's
0: that. Yeah, that's where the growth happens. You know, it, it reminds me what you're saying. I, I know I quote it probably too often is the paraphrase from Victor Frankel in man's search for meaning. And wow, it, it's one of my favorite books. It's I have it on my shelf. And just basically, if you really think about it, You know, back when he was sitting in a concentration camp and you you could take everything and anything away from a person, freedom, money, family, food, clothing, name, dignity, whatever it is, everything and anything. And there's just one thing you can't take away from a person. And that's a person's attitude. Yep. The
1: 100 percent controllable. I think growing up, I always tried to find that thing I could control. Because some of the there's nothing I can I can control where I lived. Mom was out of control sometimes, and neighborhoods out of control. And can't control any of this. But what do I have? How I show up every day, how I go about it. And I, I got this even as a youngster. Now I didn't quite understand how to execute it, but I understood the, the the general idea. That I bring me, and that's all I bring. Everything else is is it, right? I was actually having a conversation with a guy. Recently, uh, we were talking about things related to online business, and, and I, I remarked that, that one of the things that I try to focus on is what makes Ed Lattimore more interesting. If if it so happens that I can profit from it, great. If not, whatever. I'm more interesting. Guy, I have more fun. Even my travel. I mean, I really I mean. I prefer not to be like cramped in the center seat more so i pay for the upgrade in the first class but i have to avoid that but outside of that my travel was not extravagant because i'm looking to experience stuff see the world do things make me a more interesting person because i am the only thing i carry with me you know right. well once you get that you know life's a lot better <laughs> a lot more fun
0: so you mentioned early history and i know you're not shy about your your early history growing up in projects right yeah pittsburgh if i recall pittsburgh pa yeah pittsburgh pa so if i had to ask what's a day in the life like
1: well it just depends man here's the thing about growing up in a place like like where i grew up you don't know it's messed up till you start going to other places i think i spent realistically in fact i'll tell you exactly when i started to realize things were, were not normal When I went to high school, because I went to a high school across town in a different demographic entirely, and I decided to go to that one because I just wasn't happy where I was being fed into the neighborhood. We had a feeder program, right? All the neighborhood schools went to the same kind of region. I think most cities do something very similar, like you're grouped by your area because that makes the most sense. But we had a magnet program where you could apply to go to a school in a different area. I don't remember why I chose that one. I think it was because of a program they had and uh, got in and going there because of the level of class i was in all my friends were upper middle or lower upper class but i was like wow i had never seen a lot of this stuff like like stuff people take for granted like i'm pretty sure i didn't know anybody until i was i went to high school who had two parents in the house never seen that didn't even know that you could own your home. And, and, you know, a parent that stays home and, and someone working with the homework. I, I had to catch a bus and was on lunch tickets. I didn't even know you could not be on lunch. Because lunch tickets is what you get for like, it was like an income program. I didn't even know that you could be off lunch tickets, man. It's crazy. So... Seeing that, that's when I was like that contrast. I was like it just slowly grew on me. And then as I got to see, you know, kind of the advantages that they have. Like I remember one time, man. That, I remember it hit me that I had to wake up at 5:30 every morning to catch the bus to school, to to compete with people who were crawling out of bed at 7:20 to be at school by 7:40. And I'm like, this is crazy. It was a good experience, but the answer to answer your question, what's the day in life like? The day in life. I mean, I can at this point in my mind kind of only contrasted. I mean, I I, I can tell you some things that I thought were common that weren't. I Man, I'm sure I heard gunshots more nights than not. I was just thinking about this the other day, like how similar was my experience to somebody who was like in Iraq, but not like on. A lot, because you couldn't, at least you shouldn't go out after a certain point. You would hear the the gunshots. I mean, there were several times I watched drive-by shootings. I've come across bodies, man, things like that. Living next to drug dealers and guys who are beating their girls, all that, man. You're accustomed and very comfortable with a certain level of dysfunction. And that becomes the norm. And you don't realize, a lot of people, and this is unfortunate, they don't realize it's dysfunctional. Until they become old enough to where it's hard to change. And if they they adapt and grow and get used to it, then they try and go out and interact with the real world where everybody ain't like that. And that's looked down on. They can't function. They can't move right. And so no matter how intelligent they are, what skills they have, they're going to always be held back by a certain type of, like, innate now at this point, community, the style of communication and interaction. I know a lot of people in public assistance. We never starved personally, but I know a lot of people that did. Because my mom was a lot more responsible than the average parent, but most people have never seen their parents get arrested, right? That's how it goes down. I've seen my mom get arrested.
0: You mentioned that earlier that like some people somehow, there is no one clean, good answer to this. Like, you know, some people thrive and somehow succeed sort of despite the circumstances and some people don't. I guess for you growing up there and and seeing, experiencing what you experienced in your own experiences, like, is there looking back, is there something like, I'm sure you're pretty darn grateful and yes, there's nature there, but like, could you tie it to something that, well, this sort of, I'm thriving now, I'm living a good life and you know, I'm succeeding and and some people didn't. Is it just happenstance? Is there something to it? I
1: mean, you know, I write about this And and, I mean, it's important to reflect on everybody comes into the world with a different level of, it's like a video game, right? We all start out with points and then those points are distributed in different ways and different configurations, everybody, you know, you get different distributions of points and your status and all that. So I think that I had certain traits. That made the external very difficult to imprint on me and, and gobble me up, right? But externally, I, I had a good mom and she was loving and really went out of her way to do the best job she could disciplining us. And I got to go to that other school, which I don't know how much of a difference it made, but I know it made a big difference because to this day, those guys are my friends. And, and, and if I wasn't for those friends, I don't know where I would have gone after school. You know, instead of just come straight home, for example, whatever, miserable. And I had that. A lot of people didn't have that. And then that a lot of that came with being a little more intelligent than average. You know, that we had this program in our schools where they were like, if you were doing okay or doing well, they like test you and see what your IQ was. And if it was above a certain point, you go to this this other place for one day a week. And that, that gives you certain opportunities. It's a good opportunity. And it just continues to expose you to a little things outside of what you know until you, you break free and get out. And then I always say, you know, I could have been born in like Compton, California, man. That's the city sized ghetto, man. That's like, that's a city actually. Uh, <laughs> and it's very difficult to see something else outside of that. I could have been a little less intelligent or less athletic. That certainly closes doors down. It could have been born with a little more of an emotional temperament that probably gets me into more trouble than it needs to be. I tell my mom all the time, you know, the difference between me and my sister is that you had me first and you could probably drop me in the slums of Mumbai and I'd have been, all right, I'd have figured it out. My sister not so much, she probably would have needed a little more guidance. And it looks like you need to raise people the same because that's kind of what they were preaching then or at least in the black community, whatever. And I think my sister probably suffered from that trying to be raised the way I was raised because I I mean I had a key to the house when I was five years old because my mom was working so I was letting myself in from kindergarten and taking care of myself my mom would leave a note for what to do and where the food was so I've always been that self-sufficient human and that just kind of runs along now whether I was self-sufficient or (laughs) I had to be is a different you know discussion but I think I say all this because I struggle sometimes to figure out the think about. Could someone just emulate the Ed Latam or example? Sure, I think there's a lot to learn. There's also a lot of stuff beyond my control to, that I got I got lucky, man. You Got lucky. And then fortunately it all came together and in, into something that I could be proud of. And I became a person I'm proud of because you know there was a dark period. I wasn't sure if that ever would happen or if I'd ever become anything worth talking about, being seeing. It's like it,
0: it it ties to the age old uh, you know debate of nature versus nurture, and it sounds like a little bit of both, you know, worked in your favor.
1: Yeah, I- exactly. I feel the exact same way. I think, yeah, so I say ultimately all of it works in my favor. It's just that some of the ore needs a bit more refining and time, and if you don't have the resources to refine that ore, then you just end up with a lump effing like, like carbonite that you can't do anything with, and it's just, you, know, you know, and been you wasted all this time and energy and what are you going to do? That's that's not as good of an analogy I could come up with if I, if I really thought about it, but the point is that I think all of our experiences have the ability to transform us and develop us. But some of that process for transformation and development, it is unpleasant and comes with a high cost that it, it perhaps for a short moment certainly in the beginning or even mid-range uh, the cost exceeds the value you get from it now like i never raised my kids the way i was raised like it just wouldn't happen but there's no way i could tell you honestly with a straight face that that didn't contribute to who I am now and I think I'm a pretty solid guy to listen to and I, I feel good about myself like, like you really you really look and go well it worked for him and he's here should I do it for me and I'm like yeah oh, what about all those people it didn't work for,
0: for every ed out there you mm-hmm. know how many did it not work for exactly you know and, and fast forward over time developing each experience learning from I do like the example of ore, but you have to, someone has to be willing to work on that or to are willing, willing to
1: work that. on it. Gotta go dig it out. You know, <laughs> that's miserable in and of itself. But you kind of get thrown into that situation in the first place. Like I always say, my real rite of passage in life, the, the, I had, I think I had two. Uh, the first one was when I got sent out to LA for boxing that that happened completely unexpected it was a great thing for my my career and for my development as a fighter but in one week i had to be out there that meant i had to quickly cancel cut everything off and and i was out there alone my driver's license was suspended i didn't know anybody and i had to figure out how to be alone for the first time ever it was one of the reasons why i didn't thrive well in college because i didn't realize how not comfortable i am being truly alone right but i figured that out the second time the second rite of passage was on my basic training ait period it was the 10-month period i went away oh almost 10 months it was more like six i guess it was supposed to be 10 but a six-month period i went away and when i came back from there i got sober i was like that's it right but there are these transformational periods man you go through and they make a big difference and they're right to passage
0: yeah and now fast forward and developing stoicism for yourself and then sharing that yeah. now, you mentioned earlier about, it doesn't mean, and, and you hear this a lot from people. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't feel. Hey, okay? but what's the belief on, well, negative feelings. I mean, we are emotional beings, right? So anyone to pretend that they don't feel, I mean, we're not the tin man, you know, we do have feelings. Some of them are positive, some of them are negative. And so I know it's, a, it's probably a longer conversation, but is the goal to not let any unpleasant, negative feeling, hurt, pain, loss, rejection, sadness, to be so conditioned, so impervious that positive feelings, yay, let them in? and, and no, no, like no. A... Because
1: you, you, you can't do that. That's
0: impossible, right? I agree.
1: Uh, it, <laughs> what you can do is you can recognize that you're hurting. And that is what it is, however it is for you. And in recognition of that that recognition, though, you still don't forsake any responsibilities or duties, and you don't let your feelings affect what has to be done. That doesn't mean you stop feeling. That doesn't mean that you shut yourself up in a hole. But it, it does mean that, that the external world doesn't get to or rather it, it works both ways. You know, it's not a two way mirror. It's a, a sheet of, I guess, as a door, the outside world isn't going to affect your circumstances and your circumstances. They ain't got nothing to do with the outside world. OK, they interplay right there. in, in the the uh, what we'll call that that barrier of interaction, we'll call that experience. Right. But. What you get from that experience, those feelings, you know, you reflect, learn, feel, be hurt, be elated, whatever, but you still have to go and continue interacting in the world. That's what you live in. Likewise, the world is going, is going to hand you a lot of nonsense. Are you gonna let that destroy you? Are you gonna let that keep you from being effective? That key is to be part of the world, but not controlled by the world. And I think what what the what most people do or rather people who are not stoics they think that their emotions have something have some power right or they think the world has singled them out for something and the reality is there are two things that happen to interact at that border and we call that border experience and what you can do all you can do is try to have the best experience you can and then you can't control that i mean like what do they say? Like, you, you can't control what happens to you, just how you react to it, right? That's like when something blindsides you. But when you go out and try and interact with the world, then you can control that side. That is when it is a two way mirror, you know, who is initiating the experience. But the feelings, eh, separate things. And so we're not trying to mute those, we're just making sure that we put them in their proper place, you know? I think that's the best way to describe it. You know, you put your feelings in their proper place. Because look, man, let's say I come home all my girl is murdered brutally. Man, they they kill my cat, and shit. Right? It's all terrible, uh, and I'm all sad and beat down. Look, man, the landlord might care and might let it slide the first month. Lord, still gotta eat. And he like, well, yo, you need to get your ass to work, man. Uh, otherwise, like, I'm sorry what happened to you, but I got bills to pay, man. I got my own problems, and I rely on you to pay those bills. So if you ain't going to be able to pay them, I'm going to need to get somebody else in this unit. It's the same way. A lot of people, that, that sounds callous and cold, but that's the absolute kind of truth. And there are a lot of natural conclusions that type of mentality will take you to that I think put you in a lot of control of your life.
0: I appreciate that candor, and and so on. You know, I primarily practice cognitive behavioral therapy, so very much a lot of it relates to me the power the power of what we we believe and the power of, you know, of what we think. And so, I'll ask. Maybe it's a little bit of a reductionist or a provocative question. So, if someone who truly subscribes to stoicism, would they attribute that people who struggle with depression or anxiety? or other mental illness would they simply say and i know i'm being a reductionist would they simply say hey well they're just not in control of their emotions and if they were more intentional and more controlled then they wouldn't suffer from depression and anxiety etc cetera, etc cetera?
1: i think what they would say is at least i mean i can say what i would say is, is yeah i mean you're depressed that doesn't affect what you need to do, or you shouldn't let it happen. In other words, like you can be depressed, but that is a, a thing in and of itself. Now, as, as I'm learning, correct me if I'm incorrect here, as you're the, uh, the expert in these things is uh, as, as I'm learning, uh, one of what, what, what I feel right now is that our languages is, is inadequate. At the very least, it is imprecise to the point where it is causing a a problem when we talk about depression, because we have this word depression that we we use to describe when something is down. Even the word tropical depression, what a lot of people don't realize what that means is that means the pressure of a storm system has fallen below a certain level. Okay, So we use that colloquially to mean uh, sadness in general, as I understand it. Uh, genuine depression would be recognizable in theory on an MRI scan, right? At, at some point, we'd be able to see an actual inadequacy or a balance, and I guess that's what uh, what they call it, SSRI's. What, what what do and SSRI, fix yeah, right. Okay, so for for those people with a genuine malfunction, those individuals should seek the the help because there's clearly something incorrect in their and it's gonna sound weird, even though it's part of them. There's clearly something in their environment that we can influence with our medicine. That doesn't guarantee we're gonna have a good outcome, but we can you know get the work on it, and that should have, have an effect back. It's no different than you know, you hear somebody coughing all the time, and, and you're like, Man, why are you always coughing? You're like, I don't know, man. I'm just coughing. And it turns out he's got allergies, right? And he just you know give him an antihistamine, and all of a sudden the coughing disappears. When we're talking about genuine depression, not the way it's incorrectly used or attributed or whatever, but, but outside of that, right? Then we get back to the issue of, yeah, you, you're sad, man. Think of it this way. And I don't know how many people like ever make this leap. I'm certainly going to make it. Maybe it's a stretch, but whatever, right? Uh, no judge in the world is going to sit there and be like, look here, your honor. She was sitting right there. What was I supposed to do? That doesn't work that way. It doesn't work there with any emotional state. We can apply that very clearly on certain things. And we see that and we see it because the action does something in the world. I think that's why it's it's clear. But when we start talking about things like uh, a negative state and how it is you and how it's keeping you from doing X, Y, Z. I will 100% say, you know, unabashedly, I don't buy that because you can keep yourself from doing other things in the midst of other emotional, all, all they are is, is, is stimuli motivators. That doesn't mean you have to do them. And that's why we have control over the will. That's what the story. That's what I would I you know, say about I you. just because about- I
0: just because I feel a certain way doesn't mean that has to get in the way of what I value doing.
1: Yes, man, you said it perfectly. Just because you feel a certain way, it doesn't have to get in the way. You know,
0: part of what feeds into depression is changing that belief. So if that's a really embedded belief that, no, I can't, or I'm worthless, blah, 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 then that's a work to change that belief that, no, I can do something even if I feel certain. Yeah. So shifting over to, you know, you talk about using language, and I want to shift over to, to more what you're doing now. Oh, actually, side question. Actually, two side questions. First of
1: all. As many side questions as you want, man.
0: <laughs> was the wire accurate?
1: Was the wire accurate? Man, let me tell you something about the wire. I, I think it is. So, I don't know if you noticed about the wire. Uh, when it was on, it actually wasn't that popular. To the point where, like, they, I, I feel like each season they had to, like, campaign to, like, get the next season on. It was here in Baltimore, too, man. <laughs> That's funny. I just realized that. I, I can't speak to the specifics of the Baltimore game because I'm not I'm from Baltimore, but the overall general kind of kind of workings, yeah, man. Like I guess the, the general idea, all accurate, where there is a, a real market but for drugs because what else a guy's going to do?
0: I have a funny story with the, with the wires. Before I moved here and I was doing some phone interviews for some jobs. And I forget which job and I don't know what they train them in this HR of this company. I was on this phone interview and the woman was describing something about the job. And I don't know what she said that got me thinking, like, you know, what kind of neighborhood is this in? And I asked her, like, where is this located? What's the area like? And her response was like, you know, The Wire, you heard of The Wire? I'm Like, yeah, but it, was, <laughs> it was it was filmed down the block. I'm like, oh, sold. <laughs> now you got me. Now that's exactly what I want to work. I'm not making this up. Like, What are they teaching you in Down HR? John in Amsterdam, here? right? <laughs> that's, that's great. Another side question with boxing. Are you familiar with this, and especially because boxing and chess, I found out that there's something called like chess boxing, yeah, I found out about
1: it, man. They were they were trying to recruit me, but I was dead smack in the middle of my professional fighting career and it just didn't work. We looked at it a few different ways to make it happen and, and it wouldn't work because it, it's big-ish in Europe. And so that's where I would have had to go was go to Europe. And uh, the trade-off wasn't going to really be worth it, but I'd have to do and give up. So I didn't go do it. And and turns out I was reading, a, um, I have a subscription to... To Chess Life Magazine, you get a one-year subscription, you know, for your USCF card. And I found out the guy who was recruiting me, man, he died. I was wondering why I didn't hear anything about from him. Turns out he passed, man. I was gonna go see an event. I was living in Portugal, and they messaged me and they were like, "Hey, you're over in Europe right now." we have an event going on in paris it was like april or something and then everything happened with the pandemic and i didn't hear anything else and then the queen's gambit came out the chess thing on netflix and so of course they do a feature in chess life about it and i'm reading it and then they just mentioned it that epi rubin all died. And i was like oh what <laughs> it's, i don't know in other words, that explains why i haven't heard anything from them aside from like the pandemic happening but yeah, that looks really hella interesting. My, my thing is this, man, I've looked at some videos and, and you know, hopefully someone hears me and say this and, and calls me out. But I look at the level of fighting ability of the typical chess boxer and that's not really
0: going to be even well, the it question was, is, is it is it a chess player who's boxing or is it a box player who's chess, who's playing? Well, football? here's
1: what I'll say. It's a chess player who's trying to box and, and the average person has no idea how difficult boxing is. In fact, here's how difficult boxing is. You can look this up. ESPN did this like it was a fairly complex analysis, certainly more complex than anything that is normally carried out uh, these days. But but I guess it's, it's at this point, damn near 15 years old. Um. And boxing came in as the number one most difficult sport overall. When you, you factor everything from like hand out, coordination, speed, strength, agility, flexibility, all that, uh, durability. Yeah, very difficult sport. One of the main things that makes it difficult aside from like getting punched is that you need to anaerobically fit in. And there are very few people who naturally are both. You just gotta develop it. And usually they're explosive athletes. Like your typical wide receiver is gonna be anaerobic and aerobically fit, or your basketball players are gonna be like that. Running backs too. Oh, definitely running backs. Yeah. But most people don't don't come out the gate with the ability to run four miles in, in twenty-eight minutes and sprint and, and run like a four five forty like that. That's a, a, a hard body set. If you want to like get two tests of that, but yeah, not a lot of boxers playing chess, but a lot of chess players boxing, with one notable exception. Man, apparently rush is crazy though. rush <laughs> apparently there's there's a few like strong Russian chess boxers. But you would probably clean up then, though. I I would probably have a good time. Yeah. like like it definitely would not be and it's one of those things that i would do because of the level now if i go in there and there's somebody and i'm like hold up you you're not one of them you know i'll know real fast because that's the other thing about my fight too man all it takes is like around and anybody with experience can see immediately what your experience is you know because it reminds me of one of my favorite quotes and, and I use it in, in instances like this. And, and I quoted, you know, the more experience you have with women, the more women you know have experience with men, you know, or the more you know which women have experience with men. And it's kind of like that with, with fighting. The more experience you have with fighting, the more you know which fighters have experience. Like, and you can, I can look at you right in the ring and I can tell everything from how you throw the punch, uh, that's like level one to like, how you defend it are you like terrified or do you know just a little slip little slip absorb absorb a little things like that
0: i I always thought that a great metaphor for life was you mentioned a minute ago about getting punched in the face now how do you get yourself to be willing to get punched in the face
1: you don't want to know this is what i was talking about earlier the difficulty of a task is irrelevant it's vital to success no one wants to be punched in the face that's that's part of the reason why we we defend and we bob and we even slip you get hit you just realize oh i'm not made of paper okay
0: let's continue
1: let's try to make sure this doesn't happen too often though and then you walk away hurt and you come back the next day
0: but i would think you still have to have some willingness because if i'm trying so hard that you know i want to get into this fight i don't want to get hit once i mean that's just not realistic and the same thing with life if i want to try to avoid falling on my face, then I'm setting myself up to be really, really disappointed. So there's got to be some sort of willingness. Like, I'm going to get hit. I don't want to get hit. I'm going to get hit, though. No. Yeah,
1: and you know what? Nobody can tell you how uncomfortable a hot bath is going to be. You just go getting that hot bath, and you realize it ain't that bad. It's going to shock you. Same with a cold bath, too. It's going to shock you at first, but then you get used to it. You chill out. It's, like, it's, it's just like that, man. Like, you get punched that first one that like jars you up and you're, good. you're like, Oh, well, I'm not on the floor and I'm still here. Let's keep going. And then on top of that, man, you, you know, you're freaking adrenaline is rushing. You don't even feel the pain until like 40 minutes later. Uh, and then you're like, why did I do this? And then you, <laughs> you come back the next day to do it again. There's something very wrong with fighters, man. My coach said it best, man. The average person does not run to the fight is that's, that's pretty much how we sum up those willing to get in the ring and take that risk.
0: Yeah. And, flip, and flipping back to chess again, what did you think of the Queen's Gambit?
1: Oh, I loved it. You know why I loved it? I thought it was a fantastic period piece. Watching it, I didn't feel like outside of the technology that was being used because now, now nothing looks grainy, which is great. Like everything looks – Hey, I don't know if you like ever gone back and like watched something even from like the mid-90s, even, even the early 2000s. You're like, Wow. We've come such a long way. Meanwhile, then, people are like, wow, we've come such a long way about stuff in like the 80s and they don't even get me started on black and white versus color. But I thought they did a really good job with the color selection and the camera and then the costumes and the way the characters behaved and talked uh, for the time period that it was supposed to be set in. I thought one thing that they did extremely well was highlight the kind of tension between the Russian and Americans because that was a big deal during the Cold War. A lot of people follow chess or even don't follow chess know who bobby fisher is largely because he was the first and only american chess champion but also because during the cold war where it's a big deal when I'm the up. russians had a lock i mean if you go look at and it, they weren't russians yet they were still the soviet union if, if you go look at like uh, the wikipedia page it, it's like Soviet Union, Soviet Union, Soviet Union, Soviet Union, Soviet Union, Eastern Merlin, Soviet Union, Soviet Union, <laughs> then Bobby Fischer shows up, and then after that, and then, but now it's a little different, like, like now the current uh, World Chess Champion is from Norway, which is,
0: you know, I- incredible. How about how they show the actual chess play?
1: Oh, I thought that was great, too. I guess, you know, it's funny. My brain didn't even, like, register that part. But, yeah, what they did, and this explains why it felt so real, and this is a a great article in Chess Life. They took actual games and used them to play through. And so they had to make the moves, and there was, like, notations, and then great acting and everything. So that's why it was so interesting and so cool to watch. Like it wasn't just movement of pieces. Like each move had a function, man, because it was taken directly from the real game.
0: It's authentic. So I, I want to shift to the last thing. and we're going to be up against the clock. The last thing I want to talk about is really what you're doing now. And like you said way earlier, you have all these tools, you need this experience and you have things to share. And, but without having the channels, the pipeline which social media provides you know h- how far would the reach go and now you know thankfully you, you have the reach and, you, and you're grateful for that social media is an animal
1: <laughs> yeah and, uh, that is certainly not an inaccurate to- <laughs> way to, <laughs> to
0: describe it and i'm curious like the way my mind thinks w- with everything is sort of like okay the experience of engaging in social media and each platform is different you know instagram is different than Twitter, Twitter is different than Facebook. They're they're all different in how people interact. And I think we all can agree, there's plenty of positives, there's plenty of negatives. And the way my mind thinks is like, sort of how do we learn from, you know, how we navigate, And, and you navigate a lot. I mean, you engage a lot, you share a lot. And it's obvious that you enjoy writing and the written word and sharing all those wonderful. I just love, I, I appreciate, because it's like, it's a good solid nugget. You take this, you know, take this thought, this, this belief, this ideal, and you can just take it. But what have you learned? What have been some like the, the, the ups and downs or the positives and negatives of dealing with social media, people on social media, bots on social media. You don't even know like information and misinformation, the whole experience and because I, I know you're, you're very much in that world. You're very engaged. And I'm, I'm really a- curious. <laughs> here. And I'm
1: a veteran of this game, man. I've been having a good time with it. So, so in terms of like, you know what I'm navigating, what I do, I figured out a long time ago that if I was going to be here and I was going to do this, that I needed to keep my sanity and to keep my whips about me. <laughs> and the best way to do that, I don't argue, I try to avoid discussing politics. I'm trying to think. There are a lot of things I could talk about, but I, I just don't, man, because they're not good for me. And I have I try to have control over my environment. And I'm really happy how I built my following because I didn't build it on anything antagonistic or divisive or polarizing. Right? There are a lot of God people, like every four years, man, a new set of political accounts pop up and, and blow past me. Because they're just talking about, you know, whatever feeds the anger and fear of one side. And I won't play that game and I don't use the platform that way. So what that's done is simultaneously kept me sane and also kept a lot of people away or got a lot of people to stop following me who were maybe about that life.
0: It's almost the way you engage in social media is really just an extension of how you run your life.
1: Exactly. You know, it's funny you say that that way, because it is an extension of my life. Like this is my life at this point. Right. I put a lot into it. Now, one of my goals is to kind of be platform agnostic, you know, and that's why I have a website. That's why I'm starting to take the money I make and put it into businesses that, that can do this, the same thing. But I recognize that while I'm here, man, this is an important tool, very powerful. Cannot cannot make a mistake using this tool and if you make the mistake you're the one that pays like maybe they delete your account because you say something crazy right but anybody who gets their account deleted for saying something crazy they weren't using like i'm using it in the first place the real issue is when you sell out your soul and you decide to play that game of engagement well the game needs more than one player It's not just the other people. Rather, it needs teams. And if you're going to align yourself with a team and play that game, you got to be in there. That's that's how you did it. That's how you got everyone to to show up. You can't just change gears once they're all here. No, you got to keep going. And that costs a lot. And I never wanted to pay that cost. So I never, I won't say never, I had a really interesting experience that Once again, boxing saves the day, right? I had a really interesting experience to completely change how I use social media. And I had it early enough to where it didn't cost me anything. When I was a professional, I got signed to Rock Nation Sports. And they were going to be my promoter now, which meant I could get paid my money and get better fights. But it took them a little while before they added me to the website. Like my social media, my website, all that, right? And they finally did it after my 10th victory. I had like 2,500 followers on Twitter and before they added everything, they went and did a quick audit make sure I wasn't saying i crazy. Well, fortunately, I felt unfortunately at the time, but, but unfortunately with hindsight, I, had just made a few off color jokes and let me tell you something. I was negotiating with these people for almost a year. I didn't talk to anybody on the phone once. Everything was my manager and, and the CEO in two hours I had. A four-way call: with my manager, the COO, and a social media manager. And the gist of that conversation, to sum it up, was you can have our money, or you can say whatever you want on social media, but you cannot have both. And so I made the smart choice and cleaned up everything. Didn't engage in anything crazy uh, for the remainder of my contract. And a funny thing happened: I grew. I grew by almost 6,000 followers in the next year. And I said, wait a second. And I I started getting podcast interviews and appearances. And I said, okay, this is really interesting. This is helping helping me grow. I don't have to say crazy stuff. I can just be me. All right. That was the first experience. That was like the 90% experience, right? That took care of 90% of how I deal with social media. The second experience, due largely in part to the first one, I got invited to speak in Boulder, Colorado at a tech conference. They flew me out. Everything flew my girl out. Well, they know she bought her own ticket, but flew me out. uh paid for my hotel, all that good stuff. Okay. I gave the speech. Great speech. Everyone loved it. It was about overcoming fear or something like that. Somebody in the audience had a bone to pick with the organizer of the conference because last year he invited somebody and he invited them on a double blind system. But, you know, he didn't see who they were. He just selected their work based on the quality of it. Turns out he was some like like a legit, I know, I know it gets tossed around a lot, but this guy was like a legit car carrying white supremacists. And John said, I'm not going to uninvite him based on that. But if he comes to my conference and says one thing about that entirely, he'll be off the the campus immediately, as they tend to do in that side of the political spectrum. They were not pleased by this level of openness. And so they took it out on John. And so they decided I I got caught in a crossfire. Right. I had been talking a lot about, about red pill stuff. I did. Right. Nothing too crazy, but just stuff about male and female interactions. Well, a girl decides that once someone goes over, oh, this guy's a red pillar, makes a, makes a uh, statement about it. They want John to kick me out of the conference. First, I'm not even remotely close to his controversy Was the last guy, so, of course, John didn't do anything. Everybody's blowing up, fight with me. It go, goes on for a a week, doesn't matter, right? Cause it kind of blows over. You know how I mess up? Here's how I mess up. I'm on my way to see Wonder Woman, the first one, not the bad one that came out on Christmas, but the first one. <laughs> And I, I, I tagged two of the people that were harassing me that week. And I said, hey, I'm on my way to see Wonder Woman and I'm putting on a hat. I said that exactly. Uh, does that make me a good They had just been waiting for me to say something off the chain and that was it. And Twitter gave me a 12-hour ban and I said, wait a second, this is nuts. Because at that point now I had 13,000 followers. And I was like, okay. What am I here for? <laughs> you know, and and then I kind of figured out the rules and I haven't had a bad sense, but I don't even play that game. And, you know, it's funny, a, a year later, at this point, I had like 50,000 followers. They, you know, showed up again. John's having, you know, having the Lambda conference again. He's going to invite more people like Al Atomor. And I'm like, I don't even know who you are. I, I I don't care about this. Not interested. This is great for me. And peace out. But you got to have those kind of early stumbles to realize and learn because, because otherwise, you know, ma- maybe I don't get signed and I build my following, you know, a little more on saying crazy stuff, but I don't want to, I just don't, I don't want that energy's bad, man. Like I've seen how it grows on the internet. I'm too calm, man. I'm happy. I like, like, now, nah, I'm not going, you know, I, everyone has their trigger point. Like I won't suffer like, like stupid people,
0: but like, I don't
1: need to call them stupid. I just Just block them.
0: <laughs> you know uh, i'm I'm so glad to hear that there are people out there who have followings on social media and have some values and don't get sucked in and I, you're fortunate that you had those experiences early on yeah but you're 100% so right fortunate. Once, once you get pulled into the polarization game it's like you, there's no halfway <laughs> it's the, you're you're in or you're out. And once you start polarizing, you got to keep on polarizing. You, gotta dig yep. in. you, gotta you dig got in to dig you got to dig in and dig in and that's the real dark side of it when people use that. And I'm glad to hear that. How do you not? I promise this will be the last question.
1: Okay. No, okay. it's all good, man. I'm enjoying myself.
0: So am I. I mean, How do you avoid the trap of getting too sucked into followers? What do you mean by that? Meaning there are people who you know, their business, their reputation is closely tied to the following that they have on social media. And I, I can see how a person can get pulled into the trap of, you know, a couple more followers, a couple less followers and sort of riding everything on my following, my father fo- the following, the following, the following, and sort of that makes us really like that's up an, and down. That's an
1: interesting question. Um, But I think it's overblown. It's one of those things that seems like it might be a big deal if you don't have a lot of followers, but like, you realize that really we get anything you can do. Granted, I work with a lot of people who are like, yo, I can't get my follower count up. And that's great because that's money and opportunity for me to work with somebody. Right. And show them, you know, kind of why not. But they usually have a business interest in, in, in whether they've done it uh, explicitly or they just kind of know that having a certain number of followers, they're going to be able to convert a certain percentage of those. And, and so it kind of affects their bottom line. But in terms of an identity thing, no, nah, I, mean, I I don't. I I if someone has that I don't I've never really encountered it and and I don't have it because because it's not about the followers man like look there's tons of there there are a few people I look up to them and compare myself to them and I'm like oh man you guys are doing great because what followers are followers are are a wonderful kind of proxy metric to your impact right <laughs> it's very hard to have my level of followers and just be a bum like it's not really how it works. Like, I'm not saying that it can't work that way, but if this many people are following you, it's because you tend to do something uh, worth following for.
0: Gotcha. Okay, that's good. For, so for anyone who's involved in social media, that's good to hear. And really just, I don't know, my takeaway is stick to doing it for the right reasons. Why am I doing this? Like you said two minutes ago, like, why am I on here? Why right. do I do this? That's That's great. So how could, this has been just, this has been awesome for me. I really, I'm really, really enjoyed it. I'm sure everyone listening enjoyed How could people find out more about you, get connected to you? Are there any upcoming projects you want people to know about, books, more about stoicism? What do you, what do you want people to know more about and how could they find about it? Uh, about, about- uh,
1: yeah, you know, so just first, you know, you come to the website, I'm always working on stuff there or come and check me out on social media. That's where, where you'll see everything I'm doing. Uh, as far as big projects uh, more you know I'm working on just just writing and putting out good content and trying to grow what kind of what, one of the things you do get trapped in is you realize at least for me right I think that I have I've thank goodness been blessed with enough kind of communication skills and i've led an interesting enough life to kind of have things to say and do so every now and then i'll go on somebody's show and i'm like man you should be doing this yourself And you hear that enough and you're like oh maybe i should try this out probably never gonna have a podcast but i'll you know do something with that and on my youtube channel and grow my instagram and uh, having a good good time and really just trying to create content man the helpful useful read me, learn from me stuff, you know, I'm working on a book now, Where I just, the working title was Stoic Street Smarts based on the theme of my website, where I, I talk about those ideas of not just uh, controlling yourself, but kind of the street smarts ideas. How can you uh, read the room and interact with other people while not letting that energy influence you and the decisions you make on yourself kind of deal.
0: That sounds awesome. And I appreciate you being here. Appreciate you appreciate the work that you're doing. I think you're making the world a better place. And I hope we have more people like you.
1: Hey, thanks, man. Much appreciated.
0: Thank you so much for the time.